Okay, so today we are arriving at the end of the story. We have been since January in this series of sermons on the return of Jesus and what has to happen before he comes back and what will happen on that day and what will come afterward. And three weeks ago today was part 14, which was the thousand-year reign of Christ. And, and we looked in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Romans and Hebrews and Revelation about this thousand years where Jesus will rule on the earth. And I know there's a lot of different interpretations on all that, but I told you mine. I think it's an actual thousand years that represents a Sabbath for the earth and for humanity and for God. It's, it's Jesus' day. That's the Lord's day. In that Peter says a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. So there's this thousand year period where we reverse the curse. And we looked at the the passage from Isaiah where that Jesus used as his mission statement that I have come to bind up the brokenhearted and heal the sick and preach the good news to the poor and so on. And, and then in Isaiah it goes on and it says, and they will, meaning the brokenhearted that he has bound up and the healed and the poor that he's preached the gospel to, they will restore the waste places, the, the destructions of many generations. It will actually be us in the millennium ruling with Jesus, and in a thousand years we will reverse all of the destruction and the effects of sin and the curse, uh, all the, everything, down to the smallest, minutest molecule of air pollution, but murder, blood, war, sin, tragedy, everything will be undone by us under Jesus' leadership, by his power, of course, under his teaching, his kingdom, we will reverse the curse. And then Isaiah 26 says the last thing that will happen as we move toward reversing the curse, the last thing that will happen is the veil that covers the entire planet, which Isaiah 26 says is death. The veil of death will be removed. That is the separation wall between the physical world and the spiritual world. What we call heaven and earth or the spiritual and the, the physical or God and his people. Even by faith now, of course, we know we can know God and we know him in his word, but we still have to die to see him. There's still a wall of separation of death that's between us and him. We haven't passed through it. Some of our loved ones have, but we haven't. And that wall of death is still there. Even after Jesus ripped a hole in it, it's still there. So, of course, we have a way to approach the throne of our Father and gladly and boldly obtain mercy in time of need. But death is still there. And over that thousand-year reign, the veil of death that's over humanity and the earth will be removed and heaven and earth will be one. And God and his people will be one. And there will be no separation whatsoever at all. That's what Jesus is coming to accomplish. To reverse the curse all the way to rolling back death. All the way to Adam. So that's where we left off three weeks ago. I'm going to start reading in Revelation 21. I don't have this on the screen for you today. So if you want to read along with your Bible, you can, or you can just close your eyes and listen, because I know you're used to having most of what I refer reference um, on the screen. Revelation 20 is the thousand year reign of Christ and then there's a passage about Satan being set free for a short time and there's another last battle and then there's the, the great white throne judgment which is only the judgment of sinners because we have already stood before the judgment seat of Christ. 
But everybody who sided with Satan will be locked up in hell. And we come to Revelation 21. And here's what it says. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Paul tells us we are the bride of Christ, so this new Jerusalem is us. It's the people of God. Because a city is not buildings and a place, it's people. So the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven as the bride of Christ is us. It's the people of God. Okay, The new Jerusalem comes down as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names on them, the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, three gates to the east, three gates to the north, three gates to the south, and three gates to the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs, that's thirteen hundred miles. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, one hundred and forty-four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the seventh sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate was of one pearl. And the streets of the city were pure gold, like transparent glass. That's, where it, that's the only verse where you get everything you've heard about the pearly gates and the streets of gold. That's it, right there. Each gate is a pearl, and the streets are pure gold, like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun and the moon to shine in it, for the glory of, the God, of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there, was, there is no night, and there shall, they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And he showed me a pure river of of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. There's no lamp nor light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I saw and heard, I fell down and wor- to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said, See to it that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires to to him take the water of life freely. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Good words. At the end of the thousand years where Jesus reverses the curse and sets creation back to the exact way that God made it, then in Revelation 21, the angel tells John, see, let me show you the bride of the Lamb, the wife of the Lamb, and a city comes out of heaven down to earth. So the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the wife of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, it's all the same thing, it's all us the people of God. And it goes into great detail describing the beauty of the wife of the Lamb, this city that's all decorated with diamonds and amethyst and topaz and sapphires and shines with the brightness of the sun. And it's, it's all a picture of beauty and of purity, of holiness, the glory of God that's on the people of God. But what has happened in that thousand years is that veil of death has been removed. The boundary that we have to cross now between the physical and the spiritual we call death. But God has removed, Jesus has removed it. And now the spiritual and the physical are one. And heaven can literally come to earth. And heaven, the New Jerusalem, the city actually literally sits on the earth. There's no division between the spiritual and the physical, between God and his people, between heaven and earth. When that happens, this 1,300-mile cubed city, whatever that is, 
<laughs> um, comes and sits on earth. I'm not going to go into the details of numbers and all that, like I said, but what what comes out of God's mouth? The first thing he shouts, so loud that it shakes heaven and earth, a loud voice as the, as the New Jerusalem, as the bride of Christ is coming down out of heaven, God says, the tabernacle of God is with men. Meaning, tabernacle is tent. God says, my home is with you. The very first thing, the most passionate thing on his heart, the thing that has been driving him for thousands of years is the thing that the very first thing out of his mouth when heaven and earth are reunited is, I get to live with you! That's what he wants. That's all he wants. That's all he's thinking about is I get to live with you. And you will be my people and I will be your God. That's how this whole book begins and ends and everything in between is how we messed it up and how he's going to fix it. What is the first two chapters? It is he walked with them in the cool of the day. He created a perfect paradise and he put them in charge of it and their life was not meaningless and empty and they sat around sipping a drink in a lounge chair all day. They had purpose and direction and meaning, but what it, what, the only thing we're told that they did was that they took walks with God. That's what God wanted. He, he gave them meaning and purpose and work to do and to tend the earth and the garden and all that, but it wasn't stress. It wasn't busyness. It wasn't working with the sweat of their brow. They weren't working for God. They were walking with Him. It's all about relationship, intimacy, communion, family and when we screwed it up and then all the rest of the chapters all through the entire book is God has to teach us who he is and who we are and how to do it his way and then we get to the very last two chapters of the entire book and it's not an accident that they are actually in order a complete opposite reversal of the first two chapters Satan is locked up God and people are back together. He replants the tree of life. The first, the last two chapters that I just read to you are the opposite, in order actually, of how we messed it up in the first two chapters. And what is on God's heart? The whole thing is, I get to live with you and you will be my people and I will be your God. That is all I have ever wanted. And it's all that he's ever said, all through the Old and New Testament. It, amongst all of the stories and all the laws and all the discipline and punishment that has to come for Israel's rebellion and the correction and all that, all that, he says it over and over. All I really want is just for you to come and live with me and I live with you. From Jeremiah 24, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Jeremiah 32, Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, in great wrath. I will, I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, 
that I will not turn away from doing them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good with all my heart and with all my soul. Ezekiel 11, Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Do you think that this is something God wants us to know? That he wants to live with us and be our God and we are his people. That's all it's about. It's relationship. It's family. Ezekiel 37, I will deliver them from all the dwelling places in which they have sinned and I will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, that's Jesus, the son of David. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall all walk according to my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. They shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children, forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My home also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. From 1 Corinthians 6, quoting the Old Testament, but Paul writes this, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And lastly, in Hebrews 8, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on my heart, their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none, of, none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. But he has said this all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, all I want, all I want is for you to know me and for me to know you. God is not a God who's a dictator or who makes rules just to make rules or that he's teaching us right and wrong, even not even just for the sake of knowing right and wrong. He's like, I need you to know me so that we can be together. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And so you have to know who I am and how I think and how I act and what I want so that you can be like me and be with me. And we get to the last chapter of Revelation and he shouts that in a way that shakes heaven and earth. He's so excited. He's so happy that we finally get to live together without the separation of sin or death or anything else. And he replants the tree of life right in the middle of the city, the main street, right up to the throne of God. There's passages, several verses about drinking living water and eating the fruit of the tree of life. And that is eternal life to us in that place, in that state. That's what we will live on. I told you before, but it was actually God's mercy that he removed the tree of life from the earth when Adam and Eve sinned. Because if they had gotten to eat of the tree of eternal life after they sinned, then we would be permanently stuck in a fallen existence. What we call physical death is actually God's great mercy, that there is an end to this existence and something on the other side that is holy and perfect for now, and then later God will fix the entire universe. But for now, we have faith in Jesus. We have his offering for our sin, but then we will actually 
literally eat the fruit of the tree of life on the new earth, the new heaven. I told you back in January, on the very first sermon in this series, when we talked about what is heaven like, that when we say heaven now, that's very, very different than eternity. Because eternity is this. Eternity is on this earth, made new, purified by the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's this earth. God actually comes to earth with his holy city, his heavenly city, and we live here for eternity. What heaven is now, we went over in January, you can listen to the sermon sound file online if you want, but you know, heaven, heaven now is not every tear is wiped away. It's not a forgotten, we forgot about the earth place, but your loved ones who are there are praying for you. Hebrews 12.1 says they're watching us and interceding for us, cheering us on, praying for us with Jesus. The martyrs in heaven in Revelation under the altar, they haven't forgotten what happened to them on the earth and they aren't yet even resolved in that yet. They're asking Jesus, set it right. When are you going to avenge our deaths? So there isn't even complete full justice yet. They're safe. They're in perfect love. But they remember this earth and they remember us and they know us. They haven't forgotten they're related to you. <laughs> they haven't forgotten the purposes of Jesus and the kingdom of God on the earth. And they're working and praying along with Jesus for that. But on the new earth in eternity, Isaiah 65, 1 says, I make a new heaven and a new earth and the former will not be remembered nor called to mind. Revelation 21 and 2 show us this picture, though, of a heaven, earth made new, of heaven made new, and of heaven and earth become one. And it's a totally different existence than this earth now or even heaven now. They're, they're combined. They're both perfectly purified and just everything is justified. Every tear is wiped away. Every situation is resolved in a way that it isn't now. So when we talk about life in heaven, and you mean eternity, well, we're really we're not in heaven. We're on this earth. We're, we're living on the new earth with God. He is our God, and he, we are his people. And, and really the Bible has almost nothing to say about that. We get a little bit of a hint in Genesis 1 and 2, and a little bit of a hint in Revelation 21 and 22. And then Isaiah 65, 1 is the, the verse. He says, I make a new heaven and a new earth. And the former will not even be called to mind. So I've had, I, I guess I should highlight this. I had one lady ask me several months ago, I was like, well, I've been told that when people die, they, they don't remember anything. Well, that's a misapplication of Isaiah 65.1. Because it says, after God makes a new heaven and a new earth, we will forget all the troubles and sorrows and tragedies and loss of this life. But it, But that's not the way it is now. We're... Hebrews 12.1 says they're watching. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. All the saints and heroes of faith who've gone before us, they're watching. They're cheering us on. They're praying for us along with Jesus. Whoever lives to make intercession for the saints, Hebrews says. So whatever the new life on the new earth is, it will not be boring or meaningless or repetitious or empty. I told you this before, but as a kid, I wasn't sure I wanted to go to heaven because it sounded really boring. 
Because I kind of pictured it like Muslim prayer, where we're just on our knees all day, just praising God, praise you, Jesus. You know, a million years later, praise you, Jesus. And what are we going to do while we're here? <laughs> you know, when I was a little boy, it was important that I had something to do. So I, I was kind of bored with the idea of heaven. I've, I've, God's corrected my thinking that in the garden, Adam and Eve had things to do. They had responsibility. They had purpose. They had meaning. They had work. Work is not part of the curse. Strenuous work is the curse. The work is not the curse. Accomplishment. God created us in his image. We will be creating. We will be building. We will be accomplishing. We will have meaning about our existence for all of eternity. We will not be bored in an eternity of repetition or some existence of nirvana where we're not doing anything. Can I get an amen? Amen. It will not be an all-you-can-eat buffet. It will not be an eternal amusement park. That's WALL-E. If you've seen that movie, you know how that turns out. It does not turn out all that great. But really, we're not told much of anything at all about what the new heaven and the new earth are, what that existence is like. I have some ideas, but they're just ideas. So I'm not going to present them as as Bible or uh, doctrinal teaching, but... I just want to leave you with this, that Isaiah 65, when it says, this is the verse, I make heaven a new heaven and a new earth, and the former will not be remembered nor called to mind. And this just absolutely makes my jaw drop to think of the humility and the selflessness of Jesus. Because what this implies to me is that Jesus saves us here and now, Then he returns and sets up his kingdom and he exalts us to complete perfection where our existence has no pain, no trauma, no tragedy, no loss, no death. And we are on equal par with him as the sons and daughters of God. And then we forget this life. We're so perfected by him that we forget, not even are we not experiencing loss and pain and death and suffering, we forget it all. Which if you think that through, means we forget our own also. We forget all of it. Living in His glory and His greatness, we forget all of it. He's so selfless, He will allow us to forget that he paid for it all. I'm not. Uh, we will. Don't take me wrong. We will worship him forever. We will love him with love that we cannot even begin to comprehend right now. But he is so completely selfless that he will pay. He paid for the entire thing, and then he wipes it all away, like it never happened. That just blows my mind. That's humility like we do not understand. That we will not spend eternity kissing up to him. Like, oh Jesus, we didn't deserve this and because we won't remember anything of this life. That doesn't ju- we wipe every tear from our eye, meaning he won't we won't just forget what was done to us or what loss we experienced or tragedy we underwent. We will forget our own sin also. He will wipe it all away like it never happened. 
Obviously, he will still have his wounds and the glory that emanates from that. And it's just, I'm not saying that we won't worship him or praise him, but he's just so humble, he will let us forget what he had to do for us to be there. That just blows my mind. That's just absolutely amazing. The former will not be remembered nor called to mind. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Lord Jesus, you are absolutely amazing. You are powerful and beautiful and humble and loving beyond our comprehension. Lord, we could meditate on your word, bask in your spirit forever and still just barely scratch the surface of how wonderful you are. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price with your own body and blood for our salvation, for all of these promises to come true. And Lord, we believe it. We know this is true. It's your word. It's your promises, and you are faithful, and you will perform it. It isn't some future fable. It isn't some fairy tale. We believe it with all of our heart that it's real, it's true, and it will come to pass. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your good news. Thank you for your promises of your return and of eternal life, of a new earth and a new heaven where righteousness dwells. Lord, we wait patiently for you, but your spirit and your bride call you. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Your spirit calls for you, Lord. Your bride calls for you. We want to be with you. You be our God and we be your people and we live together without sin and death and loss and end and separation. We want you on the throne. We want you to be praised and exalted and we want you to put an end to all evil and all loss and death and heartbreak and sin. End it all, Jesus. In the meantime, Lord, thank you for piercing the veil that you tore through death and you came back and you opened a new and living way for us to go to our Father, boldly accessing his mercy. Lord, you showed us the way through that veil of death. And we obediently and humbly follow you. We love you. We praise you. We look to you for salvation, for truth, for guidance. You are amazing. We only love you because you loved us first. Teach us your ways and make us like you, Jesus. Come.